Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. As I said, tonight is our last message in the series on the life of Joseph titled Advancing Through Adversity. Be back next Wednesday night. We start a new series, The Seven Deadly Sins. Do not miss it. Tonight's message, if you will, turn with me uh, to the book of Genesis. And we're going to be looking at several passages of scripture, but particularly in chapter uh, 45. We'll be uh, resting in there uh, mainly. But the message tonight is called, But God, the Divine Exception. The words, But God the divine exception. Have you, have you ever experienced a but God moment in your life? One writer said the phrase but God is found 44 times in scripture. But God moments are those times in our lives that require God to show up and intervene on our behalf. But God gives us hope when we can't see a way out of our situation. But God means that whatever trial we are facing is not the end of our story. And but God means that our circumstances do not have the last word. God's word is the last word. And you know, the scripture is full of people who had but God moments. When Abraham's wife, Sarah, was taken captive by King Abimelech. In Genesis 23, it says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. So Abraham had a but God moment. God warned Abimelech in a dream, Do not touch Sarah. So he returned her to her husband. When King Saul was hunting David to kill him, the scripture says, but God did not give David into his hands. Here you have King Saul and Israel's army hunting for David. It would have been easy for them to annihilate him, but God, God protected David. God did not allow Saul to capture him and kill him. And Joseph certainly had a but God experience, which he shared with his brothers when in Genesis 50, verse 20, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. As I said, we've been looking at the life of Joseph and how as a teen, God gave him two dreams that he was going to be raised up in leadership and even his brothers and his parents were going to bow down to him and, and in his uh, you know, youthful uh, excitement and perhaps arrogance, he eagerly shared that dream with his brothers who were already jealous because he was dad's favorite. And so when he shared that dream, they were enraged and they were going to kill him. 
one of his brothers intervened and said, don't kill him, we'll put him in a pit. And then Judah stepped up and said, uh, why don't we sell him to this band of, of traders that are passing by? And so they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And of course, we know that even though he was, God was with Joseph and gave him favor there came, uh, as a slave, uh, there came a point in time where his uh, master's wife falsely accused him of rape uh, because she tried to seduce him and Joseph rejected her. And so she falsely accused him of rape and he was placed in prison unjustly for years. Before his God-given destiny was fulfilled and he was promoted to prime minister in Egypt after interpreting uh, uh, the king's dreams about seven years of abundance and seven years of famine and God gave him a wise plan to store up you know, a grain in the seven years of plenty so that there would be sufficient food to get them through the seven years of famine. And when the famine came, it was so severe, it affected the surrounding countries and so Joseph's brothers had to come to Egypt to buy grain because Egypt was the only place that had food. And so they had to bow before Joseph who was in charge of the grain distribution and sale. So they had to bow before Joseph just as he had seen in his dream. And we left off last week with the drama of frightened brothers standing in the throne room of the Egyptian prince named Zaphanath Penea. That was the Egyptian name of Joseph, who um, they didn't really at first recognize as their brother. And so he tested these men by placing Simon in prison until they return. They, they were to go home, take the grain home, and then he said, when you return, I want you to bring your youngest brother with you, uh, Benjamin. So they go home, they tell their father what happened. Their father is devastated because uh, Benjamin and Joseph were the two youngest brothers from his favorite wife, so to speak. And he had already lost Joseph, and so he is heartbroken to think that he could now lose Benjamin. But after about two years, the grain they bought ran out, and now they have to go back to Egypt, so there's no choice. They have to take uh, Benjamin uh, with them. And this is when uh, Judah pleads that with his father that, look, I'm going to protect him. I'll even you know, give my life in exchange you know, for my brother. And Joseph tested them and found that they were really changed men whose treachery and selfishness had been replaced with compassion, with mercy, and with concern uh, for, for others. And so this testing period was almost two years before Joseph revealed himself to them and the relationship was restored. However, from the first moment that Joseph saw them, it was his intention, the Bible says, to bless them. But it had to be proven that they were changed men. Because true repentance is evidenced in changed actions, right? And so Joseph wanted to make sure that they were changed. Because to restore a relationship too quickly can actually be damaging, you know? So Judah uh, pleads for the life of Benjamin. And he offers to remain a lifetime slave of Joseph, um, you know, because they find Joseph's cup, remember, uh, in Benjamin's sack. And so um, Judah, who is the one who campaigned to sell Joseph in slavery, now offers his own life 
in exchange for his younger brother Benjamin. And so it, it shows a sincerity of repentance there. We pick up in Genesis 44, verses 33 through 34. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord say, slave in place of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. So you can see that he really has a heart now that is sensitive, that is soft. It's not the same man that 20 years before callously plotted to get rid of Joseph, but, but he is now changed, changed by God, changed by life experience. And at this point, Joseph can no longer contain his emotion and he has all of his Egyptian servants to leave the room and he began to weep loudly as he finally reveals himself uh, to his brothers. And the Bible says the brothers were so frightened that they couldn't speak. Here they are now standing before Joseph, who is the second highest in command in Egypt, and he has the power to have them executed or imprisoned. He has the power to get back, you know, in revenge for all that they've done. So when he finally divulges himself and says, yeah, I'm your brother Joseph, that doesn't bring comfort to their heart. They're terrified now, and they're like, oh, no, you know, we're, it's payback time, you know. And so um, Joseph has to uh, kind of... Um, comfort them and tell them to, to not be afraid. And so um, he reveals to them his true uh, identity. We're going to pick up the story in Genesis 45, verses 3 through 8. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I mean, they can't even speak. <laughs> They're so terrified. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed. He could see that they were terrified, okay? He says, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Wow. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. Look at verse 7. But God, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. So, you know, here his brothers are terrified. Joseph, who is in all of his royal garb, he says, come close to me. And at this point, that's a breaking of royal protocol, which had to keep them at a distance from him. But now Joseph invites them close enough, uh, not to punish them, but to embrace them. And as they look past all of his Egyptian fashion, maybe his shaved head, his, his cleanly shaven face, his crown, the Egyptian eye makeup that he would have on, the jewelry that he was wearing. As they look past all of that, now they suddenly recognize their brother. And, and nothing is explicitly said about their reaction other than the fact that um, they were terrified and Joseph knew that they were distressed, so he said to them, do not be distressed. And, and so it, it, it seems that they were dealing with a lot of emotion at that time, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of stress. Their sin of 20 years has now come 
to confront them in the face and, and they're face to face with the one that they had wronged and, and now he's a man of great power. So would they find mercy? And the key spiritual lesson that we're looking at tonight is wrapped up in verse seven. But God sent me ahead of you. But God, he says in verse eight, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. So two times he says, but God in this passage. And again, in Genesis 50, 20, he said, what you meant for evil, but God turned it around for good. So with the words, but God, Joseph reveals some very important principles for our lives as well. The first principle is this. If God allows it, God will work in it. If God allows it, God will work in it. Because you know what, folks? The Bible tells us in Psalms that nothing can touch our life except it has first passed through the hand of God. That's the confidence we have as a believer. Nothing can touch our life except it first passed through the hand of God. So if God allowed it, God will work in it. When you've trusted your life into God's hands, you can trust God's plans. When you've trusted your life into God's hands, you can trust God's plan. When you're walking by faith, no matter what happens, you can be confident that God will be there with you. And he is a but God. No matter what happens, he is a but God that can turn that evil around for your good. Amen? And Joseph's words to his brothers revealed the source of Joseph's true spiritual greatness. He says, my brothers, all this looks bad and you feel terrible, but God, there is a divine exception in all of this. You meant something terrible to happen to me, but God stepped in and he used your sin for his own purpose and glory. And Joseph's trust in God's control of his life made his heart fertile ground in which forgiveness, hope, grace, and perseverance grew. When you have trusted your life to God's control, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it may seem, faith says, but God, but God. You know, things may look bad, but God is working in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And when we have trusted God, we know that he's a but God and that gives us hope and that gives us strength to endure. Something else we see here is that man is responsible for his actions, but God will use all things for his purpose. Joseph told his brothers, you sold me. You sold me into slavery. You're responsible before God for that. You sold me, but God sent me. But God sent me. How can both statements be true? The only way it can be true is if we have a deep and solid faith in the person of God. Uh, then we can reconcile man's responsibility, the responsibility of free will, and the con confidence that Lord's absolute rule prevails. Yes, man has free will. Yes, man can make choices that negatively impact our lives. But ultimately, God is in control. And even when somebody does you wrong, God can turn it around for your good and his glory. Amen? 
You know, for centuries, theologians have argued um, from one extreme to the other. Some choose to ignore the power and rule of God, seeing only the free choice of humans as the central factor that shapes our life. So in effect, they say we are in control of our own destinies, our choice shapes our future completely, and there's little room for the providence of God. It's kind of like God just set the world into motion and then took a step back and sat down on his throne, and the choices that we make is the main factor that shapes our life. So that's one perspective. The other perspective um, is that it diminishes the importance of free will and emphasizes that God is sovereign, he has complete control, and he overrides the choices of human beings. So you have these two uh, extremes. But I like what Stuart Briscoe, one uh, commentator, observes. He says, to ignore divine sovereignty is arrogance of the first degree. But to ignore human accountability is irresponsibility on a grand scale. So we have to find a way to integrate both. Man is responsible for his choices. God gave us free will. But we have a sovereign God who works in all things. And even when people make bad choices, sinful choices, God can still use that for his ultimate glory and his ultimate purpose. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army in London, looked at the masses of people that suffered so much during the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, because during the beginning of the Industrial Re Revolution, I don't know if you've ever studied how it was almost a form of indentured slavery in, in Europe, in London, um, how they would have these small, um, well, they would have rows of these small little rooms that people would live in and they worked them generally like 12 hours a day, paid them very little, and then housed them in these very difficult uh, uh, living, very similar to what happened with slavery. But in this case, they were working and they were getting paid, but it was like a, 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 such a meager substance that you couldn't really um, uh, live on it. And so William Booth saw the suffering that was taking place he saw the poverty, he saw the, the, the affliction because many of them were suffering because there was not heating, there was a, 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 a lot of disease that spread in these housing developments and he saw the immora immorality and he concluded that as a servant of God, he could not just look away and ignore what was happening. So as a man of faith, he was compelled to give his life to change the world, to change their circumstances. So he put the will of God and the responsibility of humans together with this this great statement. He said, work as if everything depended on you and pray as if everything depends on God. So he was going to work to alleviate the suffering that he saw, and that's how the Salvation Army got started. He was going to work to alleviate the suffering that he saw, but ultimately he knew that it was only with God's help, with God's intervention, that he could really make a difference. So we have to bring the two together. We are responsible for our actions, but we also have to trust in a God who is sovereign and in control. So if we dedicate ourselves to serving God and doing his will in the world, he will use us as vessels of honor and he will reward us in eternity. But if we disregard God in this life and live a life of disobedience and sin, God will still use us, but he will use us as vessels of dishonor to accomplish his purpose, but we will be held responsible for our sin in eternity. So what we see here is that Joseph did not relieve his brothers of their responsibility of their sinful choices. 
He said, you sold me into slavery. But he didn't take revenge on them either because he saw that God had been at work to redeem their actions for his ultimate purposes. Because of that faith, Joseph was able to forgive his brothers. When we have truly trusted ourselves into God's hands, we can face the injustices of life and we can face the betrayal of others with a confident assurance in our heart that, you know what, God, you are in control. And you will use even the wrong that others have done to me to further your good purpose and will in my life so that your name may be glorified. Folks, when we begin to look at things that way, it changes our perspective, it changes our attitude. Because if we look at, oh, that person did me wrong, pretty soon, you know, we got resentment, bitterness, and all that building up inside. But if we say, you know what, God, that person did me wrong, but I release them into your hands, and I'm trusting that you're going to use even the wrong that they have done me for my good and for your glory. So like Joseph, nothing touches our life that has not first passed through the hand of God. And if God allowed it, God is going to work in it. And like Joseph, we simply need to choose to be faithful to God in whatever situation we may find ourselves, and we can be confident that God will see us through and God will fulfill his good purpose. So what trauma in your life still aches your soul? Something somebody did to you. Somebody hurt you, somebody betrayed you, and it still aches your soul. I encourage you, surrender it to God and trust that he is working in all circumstances to accomplish his goodwill and purpose for your life. Forgiveness of others is possible when we trust God to use even the wrong done to us for our good and that God will ultimately deal with the wrongdoers if they do not repent. Amen? You know, forgiveness is all about releasing. One of the Greek words for forgiveness means to release. And what we do is that we release that person into the hand of God. We say, you know what? I'm no longer going to hold them accountable to me as if they owed me something. I release them into the hands of God. They are accountable to God. They have to answer to God. And I'm going to move on with my life. Because if you don't, that bitterness will cut you off from God. And that bitterness will get you out of the will of God. So you got to release it. God rules over all and God uses all things, even the wrong that people do to us, to accomplish his good will and purpose in and through our lives. But he will hold individuals responsible for their sinful actions if they refuse to repent. We believe that our life is left, uh, or we don't believe that our life is left to fate or to what others do to us. If we do, we'll lose hope and we'll live in fear. We've got to choose to believe that regardless of what happens to us, regardless of what others may do to us, but God. God is in control. God is working in all things. There is a divine exception. A second principle that we learn from Joseph is, not, is that not all that God permits is part of his perfect plan. Not all that God permits is part of his perfect plan. You know, we are assured by the word that his plans will triumph and that his purposes will ultimately find fulfillment. Job said this in Job 42.2. He says, I know that you can do all things 
and no plan of yours can be thwarted or stopped. Psalm 115.3, the psalmist said, our God is in heaven and he does whatsoever he pleases. And Romans 8, 28, we should be familiar with this one. And we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So all of these verses give us great comfort and confidence that, you know, God is in control. God does what he pleases. His will will be accomplished and that God will work in our life as we trust ourselves to him for his goodwill and purpose. Now, if these were the only passages of scripture that we had to go on, we would be well within our rights to abandon ourselves to fate, to surrender ourselves to the inevitable will of God, and our theme song would be, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be, because God is in control. He's going to do what he wants anyhow. But that's not the whole story, right? Those are just some select verses. That's just part of the truth. And so it's not the whole story, and Joseph understood that. He trusted God's ability to work out his plan, but Joseph also knew that he had to work diligently to see the plan of God implemented in his life. He realized that the choice of his brothers had an impact on his life, but despite their intentions to do evil to him, God superseded their evil intentions, and he used their actions to fulfill his divine plan for Joseph. Let me tell you something. No matter If you have trusted yourself into God's hand, no matter what anybody does to you, God's plan will not be thwarted if you continue to trust God and walk in his ways. Because Joseph chose to be faithful to God, the will of God was fulfilled in his life. And he was able to say, you sold me, but God sent me. You sold me, but God sent me. Now, parallel to the powerful work of God runs the track of human responsibility. Jesus calls on you and me to be aware of the way that our actions impact him or reflect on him and his work in the world. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. So he's saying, you know what? Our lives, our actions have an impact on God's kingdom and on God's purpose. And we have to live so our life is a light that will let others see God and glorify him. James 2.18 says, but some of you will say, you have faith and I have deeds or I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by what I do. So James says, faith and works are joined together. You can't just sit around and say, you know what? I have faith that God's will is gonna be fulfilled in my life. I'm waiting on you, Jesus. No, you have to take action as well. You have to, uh, you know, take steps of faith and obedience to God. So are you stepping up to your responsibility? We need to be aware of the power of our choices to influence not only the future of our own life, but the lives of those around us. Psalm 37, one through four says, do not fret because of those who are evil or envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. King David, who wrote the psalm in his old age, knew the effect, sometimes the regretful effect, of his choices. He made a lot of good choices but he also made 
some sinful choices and he saw the impact that it had on others. He saw the impact it had on his family. And so he also knew the power of God to change dark into light, to forgive sin, and to bring blessings out of our brokenness because he saw how God redeemed even the wrong choices he made when he repented, and God redeemed that and turned it around. But what we learn is that we need to accept responsibility for our life and actions and offer ourselves up into God's hands and realize that our choices do matter. They do make a difference. For instance, Moses made a choice in his anger and frustration with the people of Israel to strike the rock twice when God said to strike it once. Now, God still blessed the people because he caused water to flow from the rock. But it cost Moses. He was able to lead the people to the border of the promised land. God even took him up on a mountainside and let him look in and see the promised land. But he was not allowed to enter the promised land. But notice something. Even though he missed the promised land, God's plan was not thwarted. God's plan was still accomplished and, and the children of Israel did go up under the leadership of Joshua and they possessed the land. So our choices do make a difference. They have an impact. Israel's choice to not go up and possess the promised land in Numbers 11 through 13 resulted in the judgment of God. You remember that? Uh, the, 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 ten, the 12 spies went up, 10 came back. They all came back and said, the land is fruitful, flowing with milk and honey. But 10 of the spies said, yes, but there are giants and walled cities and we are like grasshoppers. We cannot go up and take the land. Only two spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, yes, the land is fruitful. It's flowing with milk and honey. And God is delivering the land into our hand. But the people chose to believe the negative report. And they refused to go up and they began to complain. And as a result, God brought judgment upon them and said that that entire generation that disbelieved and that refused to obey was going to die in the wilderness. And it was the next generation that would go up and possess the land. So for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness till that generation died. But that generation missed out on the promised land, but God's plan was not thwarted. He still took the children of Israel up into the promised land and gave it into their hand. So, you know, sometimes our choices can get us out of God's will, can mess us up, but you know what? God's will is going to go on. With or without us, it's going to go on. Look at Judas. He allowed Satan to fill his heart, and he betrayed Jesus, but you know what? God's plan was not thwarted. Someone once said that Peter was Jesus' friend who tried to protect him and keep him from going to the cross. Remember when Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die? And Peter said, not so, Lord. We won't allow that to happen. And Jesus said, you know, I rebuke you, get thee behind me, Satan, you know. So Peter was trying to protect Jesus, but in reality, he was keeping Jesus from God's purpose and plan for him. But then comes Judas, and the devil has filled his heart, and he betrays Jesus. But even though he betrays Jesus, he did a whole lot more than any of the other disciples to fulfill the will of God in Jesus' life. Because Calvary was God's will for Jesus. And Judas 
was one of the chief instruments that God used to get Jesus to Calvary. Now, listen to me carefully. Judas was responsible for his sinful actions. Judas lost his place among the disciples and among the saints. And he died a horrible death and his soul perished. He's called the son of perdition, the lost son. Yet God used even his evil deeds to fulfill his divine plan. So, you know, even, even sinful people who they have complete disregard for God and they're making all sorts of sinful choices, you know what? They're going to be judged for that, but God's plan is going to go on and he's going to use even their evil deeds to fulfill his purpose. God used even Judas's evil deeds to fulfill his divine plan. Jesus trusted the Father. He knew the Father was in control. He knew Judas was going to betray him. And he said, what you're going to do, go and do it quickly. But Judas was really playing into the hands of, of God's will by his sinful disobedience. In fact, Jesus would not even allow his disciples to fight on his behalf the night that they came to arrest him because Jesus knew the will and purpose of God. So our actions do make a difference. But we must do all that we can do to be faithful to God and serve him in the midst of our circumstances, no matter what we're facing, no matter what others do to us, trusting that he is at work no matter how negative our circumstances may appear and that he will fulfill his good purpose in us if we will remain faithful. And this blend between human will and divine control gives us hope. God is at work, but we must choose to work with him if we want his will fulfilled in our life. His plans are preeminent, but we are an incredibly important factor in having his plans fulfilled in our life. Don't make plans and ask God to bless them. Instead, seek God's plan, seek God's will, and surrender yourself to whatever he shows you is his plan. Discovering his plan for your life will lead you to giving everything you've got to faithfully and fulfill, fully living out his will and trusting that he will do what only he can do to fulfill his good will and purpose for you. Remember, no matter what you're facing, if you trust God, there is a but God waiting for you in your future. There is a divine exception. And when we know that those divine exceptions are there, it melts away our fear. So invite God to wrap you in the assurance of his will and trust that no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what anyone may do to you, if you remain faithful to God, God will be faithful to you and his good will and purpose will be fulfilled in your life. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.